Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I have set myself up to be financially free and... I'm kind of location agnostic because planes go everywhere, right? So why would I move back to the Bay Area to my old life? I loved it. I love my friends. There. I love my life there. But I was so stressed out. I was yeah. so like living for the weekends, living for brunch, living for Soul Cycle with the girls. And now I'm like, yay, this is my life now. I'm in Mexico City. I have a really chill life. And it's just a completely different experience. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, 
and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Rashida, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Hey, hey, hey. Very, very happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this for so long. Before we hopped on the interview, I mentioned that I had seen a CNBC Make It piece where you talked about how you were able to retire early at the age of 39 in Mexico City with less than a million dollars. And I was just like, oh my God, hashtag goals. I need to talk to this woman, find out all the details. So let's have you introduce yourself to the audience. Ooh, okay. So I am Rashida Dow. I am currently a career break coach, which means I help women specifically take sabbaticals and career breaks. But I used to be a lawyer. I did very boring things, (laughs) even by lawyer standards. They were very, very boring, but I loved what I did until the company I worked for went out of business. And then I needed a break. So I took a break. And that's how taking a sabbatical led to me teaching others how to take sabbaticals. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm imagining, you know, when you go to law school, you don't necessarily plan to like, you know, hashtag quit your career and go and live your best life in Mexico City. So talk me kind of through your original career aspirations. And then kind of what was that moment for you that you were just like, eh, this is not going to be the thing for me forever? Okay. So I went to law school because I graduated from college. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like a part-time receptionist to fill my time and I couldn't afford myself. But wait, (laughs) you know, when you first realize how much real life costs, it was one of those moments of like, (laughs) I keep working and my bank account doesn't grow. What is this? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, boom, lawyer, go to law school, right? Went to law school, came out, um, went to work for a firm in Ohio doing commercial real estate financing. So guess what happened in 2009 when no banks were financing real estate? They let go of, yeah, almost, I think like 50% of the associates were let go. It was huge. It was devastating. And because that was my specialty, I like crawled into a hole for like six months because the job search was going nowhere because no one wanted my skills because no, no banks were hiring. No banks were lending money for commercial real estate development or financing. And so what do you do with a skill that nobody wants? I got a call to do some temp work at a car company um, that was working out of Ohio. And they wanted someone who knew real estate to work on a project. And when I got there, they were like, oh, like you really know how to do this stuff. And I was like, yeah. They were like, oh, we we didn't know the things we didn't know until you got here. And so I was supposed to be a six-month project, and I was there for seven or eight years. And then I left, went to college in the Bay Area, wanted to go back to the Bay Area. So I went back to the Bay Area, and I went to work for a tech company who will leave unnamed, but they're emotional terrorists, so you probably already know who it is. <laughs> Yeah, I can take a wild guess. (laughs) You can take a wild guess. I worked for a subsidiary. So it was a different company, but we worked in the same building. We ate in the same cafeteria. We had all the same resources, et cetera, all the same policies, all the same terrorists (laughs) in the building. And so I just got really stressed and burnt out. Like what I did required a lot of hands-on work for me. It required a lot of hands-on work at my former employer, but they had hired people who were more knowledgeable in the industry. At the new employer, they hired people who were smart. Mm, Let's talk about this for a second. They hired people who were good at something. And so they assumed if you're good at one thing, you'll be good at something else. 
but that doesn't really work in highly regulated industries. So you had people who didn't know their ass from their elbows telling you what needed to happen. And it was like, I have to sit you down and explain the basics of the area so I can tell you why this is illegal, but you don't even understand the basics and you're designing the system. There were a lot of moments where it was like, this guy is like in my face about what has to happen. And no matter how many times I tell him how illegal it is, he's like, no, this must happen. And like being aggressive in a way that I'm not comfortable with, because that was kind of the the atmosphere. So I was burned out. I was talking to my therapist and she was like, they sound terrible. (laughs) Yes, they are. And so I was really, really grateful to have her as a therapist because as a black woman, what we hear all the time is like, you have to work twice as hard. I'm sure you guys hear it too as Latinas because we're working twice as hard for half the money or less. Mm -hmm. We're working three times as hard for one third of the money. And so I got so used to having this like, oh, you just have to work harder. You just have to work harder. You just have to prove yourself. And it didn't dawn on on me until after I left, but you can't prove yourself to people who don't want to see your value. Like no matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, they are choosing to be blind to what I bring to the table. They're choosing to say, she must not know what she's talking about, even though I'm the only expert in this field in the entire fucking company. Like, <laughs> but like, I don't know because why? The only thing that sets me apart from you is I'm a black woman and I'm telling you something you don't want to hear. Mm. So I must not know what I'm talking about. Cool, cool, cool. You go to law school, you spend years in this field and then come tell me. And so it just got really stressful. And the reason I was grateful for my therapist, she was a Eastern European woman. And what she told me was like, can you just do the least? Like, what is the least amount of work you can do and still keep your job? And at this point, the company was going out of business. They laid off a bunch of people. They were paying me more to stay. Listen, that retention bonus, if you can ever swing one, I recommend it. Because as people were leaving, there was less work to do. So I was like, they can't, like, I'm literally the only lawyer who knows anything about this company right now. They can't fire me. I wouldn't give them a reason to, but they can't. So she was like give them the absolute least. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like great therapist advice, but girlfriend, I'm gonna take it, right? Like this is, this is what I wanna hear. And so at that point, the idea of a break had come around. But one of the reasons I was able to do this and the point I was getting to with a very long story is that I'd already paid off my student loans. I left when I started practicing. I had between two dollars and $300,000 of student loans oh, Jesus. between undergrad and law school. Wow. And I had been, when I got laid off the first time in 2009, I got really, really serious about my finances because I had spent six months in that. Literally, when I say dark hole, I mean like I opened my blinds in my house during the day. Like I just mm-hmm. laid in the dark and I was sad. And then some days I went and volunteered somewhere and saw other people, but like it was six months of not knowing whether I would have enough money to pay my mortgage or whether my house would get repossessed. Right. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I was a lot of fear and I decided I didn't want to live like that again. So 2009, I headed down a path of financial independence without even knowing it because I was like, when I get another job, I'm paying off this debt because I don't like feeling like this. So by the time in 2018, when I got laid off or when my company went out of business, I was laid off a second time. I had no debt. I had no mortgage. I had no student loans. And so I had in that moment... I was able to make choices because I had spent years preparing for them without knowing what I was preparing for. I just knew that I didn't like debt. And this was before fire was really like a mainstream thing. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was it's hard to pay bills when you don't have a job, right? 
It's really hard. A little bit. To pay bills when you don't have a job. And I didn't want to feel that again. And so I spent a lot of time focused on like, I'm making a high salary. So what can I do to decrease my debt in this time? And not having student loans gave me the freedom when I was taking, (laughs) when the point came of me saying like, I don't want to get another job like the last job. I was really, really, really stressed and burnt out. What else can I do? And I love traveling. I was like, but that's, that's not responsible. I'm not even first generation. I am an immigrant, right? My parents are immigrants and immigrants. My mom worked two full-time jobs most of my life. You can't just quit your job, right? Like, <laughs> what? That's what they say, right? Like, you can't just take a break. <laughs> so not only now am I trying to figure out it out in my mind, but I'm also like, what are my parents going to say? That's a whole other other conversation. What are they going to say? But I talked to my therapist and something that came up for me, but I see coming up up for a lot of people is I talked myself into it. Yes, I can. I'd love to explore this idea. I went home, I looked at my investments and I was like, "Mm, I could not work for a year. I could. I could take a year and not work, right? If I don't have my US expenses, like my almost $3,000 apartment in the Bay Area, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can go somewhere else and live and like, not, I can travel the world for a year. That was the first like, oh, like look at the numbers and see what happens. And I realized I could do that. But like two days later, I'm back with my therapist. Like, what if I just <laughs> went to work, got another job? I don't really want to get another job. I don't like the jobs. I'm, I don't even like the jobs I'm applying for. I go to these interviews and I'm like, why is this man in my face? Like, <laughs> I got to prove myself to you. Oh, go away. Mm-mm. Like, I don't even want to work with you. And here you go asking me questions judging me. Mm, I don't like this. But I was like, I can go back and get a job for a year and make a plan and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you're bullshitting. I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, this is my therapist. I don't want to. I love her. Can I have her number? Yo, she's giving it real. Right? I was expecting like, let's work through this. She was like, no, you're lying to yourself. Like, if you don't go now, you're never going to go. That hurts. But also it's true. Also, she's right. So I took a break. I traveled for a year. I'd been to Mexico City a few times. I fell more in love with it as I returned to Mexico City in Theramis Travels. And then the magic that happened is I was here once with a friend and she, we're walking around. We just gone to town that day. I looked out and I said, why don't I live here? She said, why don't you? And I was like, wait, what's the answer to that question? Why don't I live? The time between the thinking of leaving and actually leaving was like a month. So I was like, I'm going to put all my stuff in storage for a month. And a year later, I'm going to come back and get another job like the last job, another apartment like the last apartment. I'm going to sleep in my bed again that I love. My TV's in storage. Everything's in storage. I got champagne in storage. Like I got everything in storage, right? <laughs> but then I realized like, I don't want to have to work to live in the Bay Area. Mm. Like, For a long time when I was there, I had a two-hour commute, two hours each way, Mm -mm. two hours each way. And my boss wanted me there in the office from like seven to seven. Oh, no, ma'am. I wasn't in the office during those times, (laughs) but that's what she wanted. And I was like, you working from home in Ohio, girl, like, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) But just that idea of like, if I want to, I can make a different choice. I have set myself up to be financially free, right? And I'm kind of location agnostic because planes go everywhere, right? So why would I move back to the Bay Area to my old life? I loved it. I love my friends. I love my life there. But I was so stressed out. 
I was yeah. so like, you know, living for the weekends, living for brunch, living for Soul Cycle with the girls. And now I'm like, yay, this is my life now. I'm in Mexico City. I have a really chill life. And it's just a completely different experience. Wow. Okay. We have so much to unpack there because I mean, just your level of bravado and just like that YOLO spirit that I feel just talking to you. It's like, hold on, how can we harness this? Because I feel like so many of us could be a little more adventurous, but you were also calculated in the risk taking, right? Like you had put together a financial emergency plan that allowed you to do this. And so I want to dive in there first, right? I want to talk about the tactical things that you were doing to set yourself up to be able to do this. You mentioned that you didn't necessarily know about the financial independence movement when you started. Did you eventually find out about it or was it just like an afterthought? It was a total afterthought. I wasn't planning for early retirement. Mm -hmm. I just realized like six months into my career break that I was not interested in going back to work for any of these people ever again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I found fire. I was like, how do I figure out how long this money will last? I started Googling and I was like, oh, there's a calculation for that. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, so there are two parts of that. Oh, this money will last me a long time. But the other part of the calculation was even if it doesn't, right? Because most of us in the stock market, you never know what's going to happen. I'm very positive about the stock market, but I'm also a realist, right? Like mm -hmm. I can't guarantee. But the thought was like, I'm smart. I'm skilled. If I have to go back to work later, I can go back to work later. Like mm -hmm. if I lose all my money, and I think part of that is like living through the crash of like whenever that was, 2000, yeah. 2008. Not that crash, the dot-com bubble. Oh, yes, yes. 2000s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Living through that and seeing like my parent, my mom have like investments that like lost all value is always in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I can go back to work. I can spend these years living my best life and maybe never need to work again or spend these years living my best life and go to work later on. Or I can go back to work right now because I don't have any faith in my financial plan. And I was like, maybe I got faith. If I got nothing yes. else, I believe in me, right? I love that. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's like when you frame the worst case scenario as going back to a nine to five, then it's just like, what is really the worst that could happen, right? Yeah. So what did you have in place as far as like an emergency fund and your investments? Like how are you investing? How much percentage of your income would you say you were saving and investing? Because I wasn't working with a plan, I couldn't even tell you. What I will yeah. tell you is that I started my financial journey by following the advice of a man whose name I no longer say. I'm not sure if you say it on this channel, but I believe he's in Tennessee. We all know him. We all know him. We don't. Mm -mm, no, girl. But you know, you take what you can, you lead the rest. And yeah. so I, I took what I could. And even in the moment, I was like, this doesn't feel all the way right. But I paid off all my debts, right? I paid off my credit cards. And then I put that money towards my mortgage. And then I paid off my mortgage. I put that money towards my student loan. And then I put all of that money towards my investments. So I was putting away the company match. I've been saving for retirement since I was 18. So that's also a factor. Any job, any job that had any kind of retirement plan, any kind of anything, I was like, yep, I'm in there. Let's do this. But I kept taking that bundle of money that was no longer being used for the other thing and putting it towards the financial plan, right? And so I was saving a lot. I was investing a lot because 
I was no longer paying a mortgage. I no longer had student loans. I didn't have any consumer debt. And so my focus was like, how can I grow that? And I say that as someone who had about $1,000 in my brokerage account 10 years ago. I don't know what was in my 401ks that I hadn't rolled over yet, but it wasn't a lot because I had just been starting. And so it took a lot of automation. It just took a lot of me being like, that's not my money. That's future me's, that's future me's money, right? Mm -hmm. Like swipe it to the side. That's not my money. Every month Vanguard just goes in and it, it is what it is. Boom, bam. And so now I'm at the point where I still work. And that's, it's weird because I don't really consider it work a lot, but I've set up a life where I have to work two hours a month. I have a commitment of two hours a month. Anything else is optional. Anything else is completely, oh my God, completely (laughs) optional. Now I like money. Let's be real. I like working. (laughs) I work because money comes in. And so I'll probably, I do work more than two hours a month. In December, I took the whole month off because I was like, I don't want to work this month. And I'll take two months off this year where it's like, I will do the two hours of work I'm committed to, but nothing else. And that is because of a number of things. One, being realistic, I had a job that paid a high salary. I have a lot of friends who have jobs who pay high salaries, but are not focused on future them's money, right? They're not focused on their future money. They're focused on their now money. So like when I was in Ohio, my house was Hood adjacent, I like to call it. The closest bank to my home gave out money in one dollar denominations. You could get a dollar from the ATM. Wow. You can get I've never seen that. I have never seen it anywhere else <laughs> in my life. But when I say hood adjacent, that's what I mean. Cause you know, like I spent a lot of my twenties, especially my early twenties, going to the ATM and being like, damn, I can't get nothing out. I can't get a thing out of here. But you know, at that ATM, if you want to take out nine dollars, you could. Hood adjacent. You had a bank. <laughs> you can get a dollar out. But my friends were buying these like mini mansions, right? Like in the very, very nice neighborhoods. I didn't do that because I was like, I just need a place to sleep. It wasn't unsafe. It was cute, you know, but I don't, I didn't need hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, which really I think was why, why I didn't buy the big house. It was like those payments every month. Can we talk about that? Right. Because I feel like especially when you're a high income earner, there's almost this pressure to show off your success, show off the sacrifice. How do you combat that when like so many people around you are trying to keep up with the Joneses? I think you have to be really secure in yourself and what's Mm. important to you. So what was important to me at first (laughs) was like paying off. When I got the smaller house was paying off my debt, right? I have other things I love to do. I, I love nice things. I'm not most people that's like, I can't believe people people buy designer bags because I have a few in the closet, right? But I don't need a new one every few months, right? Like I, because I don't care what people think, right? I don't care if you see me carrying the same bag all the time. The only person who cares about my bag is me. The same thing with the house. Who's sleeping here? Me. Like I'm the only one who has to live here. I just didn't need it, anything to be fancy. I drove the car I purchased in before law school, all the way to the firm job, the mechanic was like, no, baby, just get a new car. Like the mechanic (laughs) who I called out to the house was like, no, (laughs) ma'am, no, ma'am. So I think we can do to help you. There's there's like this, I can fix it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And so I bought like an eight-year-old Audi, right? And then I drove that until when I was working for a car company, they gave us their cars to drive. So that was also 
a plus. So I'm driving a nice car, but I'm not paying for it. Because if I was paying for it, I would be in what was then like a 12-year-old Audi. I'd still be in the same car. And I think it really is just knowing that you have a future plan. Like I didn't know what my future plan was. I knew the same thing about myself that I knew when I was 21 and a part-time receptionist was I'm expensive. So let's put away some money for the future, right? Yeah. I don't need the fancy house now, but let's stack some chips and see what I do want to use. Like, honestly, like now I don't use it. I have mm. money and it just sits there. Like this month, I'm like, I'm not even checking. I don't know what's going on in the stock market. I'm not interested. <laughs> Let me know in a few months when it's back up again. So being secure in what your plan is, what your goals are, and knowing that like a lot from the FIRE community about sacrifices that frequently sound terrible to me. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Like, what are you eating? What's happening? You never, your life sounds not fun. Right. At all. Right. Yeah. And fun is relative. Right. But like, I hear things and I'm like, I want more free. I want you to, I want you to sacrifice for your future, but not in a way that you can't enjoy your present. Like you have Mm. to be able to enjoy your present or you will, like we said, spend years giving up these years for your future years because you don't have faith right in yourself and in your plan you can do fire without eating beans and rice every day, right? Like you can do fire. You can fire without living in a situation where you don't feel safe. There are other options. And so if your plan for fire makes you sad, like not if it makes your friends sad, we don't care about them. Like we don't care about how your friends feel about what you're doing. If you're like, oh, you never come have happy hour with us anymore and you don't care about happy hour, that's fine. But if you want to go to happy hour once a month, do people still do happy hour in the pandemic? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, but if your friends are and you want to, like if you're going to feel deprived the whole time, it's really hard to stick with it. Like I didn't deprive yeah. myself. I still went on trips. I still bought things I liked. I still lived the life I wanted to. I just made sure I did it with the budget that I had left after all of that snowball money was put away. Mm, Yeah, I think that's such an important point, right? Because if you think about it, like it's not going to be an overnight thing that you decide, okay, I'm going to pursue financial independence. So how are you actually going to stay motivated? It's by celebrating those milestones. It's about making sure that you're making the, the process enjoyable. Because then what I find is a lot of folks, they haven't even thought about like what that post fire plan looks like. And then they're just like staring at the fucking ceiling because they're just like, okay, well, what was the point of this? Like now I have nothing. I'm actually working towards. I have no purpose because they were so entrenched in the deprivation and the struggle and the sacrifice that that's almost what felt like the mission instead of the freaking goal, which is to like enjoy all the hard work. Right. And because I talk to women a lot who want to take career breaks, one of the things that comes up is like, they're like, I'm burned out. And so I need to take a break. And so I'm going to work three jobs for the next 18 months to be able to afford to take a break. And I'm like, baby, wait a minute. Like, what are our other options? What else can you do? Can you take a shorter break? Can you reduce the budget of your break by going to a different location? Whatever things you can do so that you're not adding extra burnout to the burnout pie in order to take a break in the future, right? Like, how can you improve this moment? How can you get less burnout in this moment? And it's not working more jobs, right? Even if one of them is like a side hustle that you love, even a side hustle you love can burn you out. And so yeah. it's how do you sit in this moment and reduce your stress? How do you sit in this moment and create a plan for your future 
whether that's a break or whether that's financial independence, whatever it is you're trying to do, how do you create a plan for your future that leaves you happy today? Mm. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. having a goal is all people need to be happy. They're like, boom, I'm not spending any money because I've got a goal. That's it done. Yeah. And if that's true for you, that's fine. But if it's not meeting your goal makes you unhappy today, it's time to think about what that goal is and whether mm. it's worth the sacrifice. Cause I don't want to be unhappy any day. It's going to happen, right. right? Like life isn't perfect, but like that continual burnout, the continual deprivation, it's not good for you over the long term. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what people can practically do to start setting themselves up for a career break. First of all, how does one have the conversation, right, with your employer if you're not necessarily planning to leave your career forever? I mean, you know, it could possibly happen, but like, what if you literally are just like, I just want to negotiate like a year off? So I always tell people to read their employee manual because you never know what's in there. One of my students read her employee manual and found out that she could take a paid three-month sabbatical. No one in the company knew. Even HR was like, oh, really? Like, that's in there? I mean, we're going to honor it, but we we didn't know about this. Listen, I'm a big fan. Read your employee manual and get all those perks, especially if you plan on leaving. I froze my eggs before I left. (laughs) that tech company because I pay for it. Do I want those eggs? I don't know. I don't. My mama does. Like, I don't know, but I want anything to do with those eggs. But you'll pay for it all? Cool, cool, cool. I'm in there. The doctor was like, why are you freezing my eggs? And I was like, because they're paying for it. And he was like, okay, okay, let's do this. Anyway, (laughs) back on track. Read your manual, see what it says. This maybe it's Someone asked me every day if I have a script for this, and I don't because it's a very individual situation. You want to make sure that you're having a conversation with your employer that explains the benefits for them and for you, right? For them might mean the company in general, and you might need to sweet talk your manager about what the benefits for your manager is. You may need to flesh out ahead of time how the work can be shared or shifted until you come back. Maybe it's they hire a temp to do X, Y, and Z, and someone on the team takes over this other thing and some things are moved around. Come up with a plan like that so your manager doesn't have to do any work. So it's not an automatic no because they don't want to think about it. Like you've already thought about it. You've given them every reason possible to say yes, but also tell them a lot of times if you're willing to leave your job, I would say tell them like, I need a break. So either we take a break or I leave, right? Like, they need to understand that sometimes that like, you're not just saying this because you want to lay on the beach in Bali, drinking drinks and having fun. You're taking a break for your mental health. And so I also tell people like, if there's FMLA available, right? If there's some kind of, when you read the employee manual, read about all, any kind of leave they have available and see, can you get yourself into one of those categories, right? Don't be afraid or ashamed of taking the leave that's available for you. And a lot of times in that leave, it's none of their business where you are or what you're doing as long as if it's a leave for a medical reason, you're not like doing something that would be completely contradictory to that medical reason, right? Now, your coworkers are probably nosy. They probably don't get in your business. Block them now. If you're friends with them on Facebook, block them now. Block all of them. Never become friends with your coworkers on social media. Because when they see you laid up with your new boo in Bali... <laughs> drinking the drink. When they're at home, they're going to snitch on you. Or they're going to tell somebody who tells somebody else. So even if they're your friends. So don't do that. Be respectful of whatever reason you're leaving, right? 
if you are leaving on a mental health break and the plan is for you to, like you got a note from a doctor, a therapist, and your plan is to see the therapist regularly, you see the therapist regularly. It don't matter where you are if you can do online appointments. But if you just like stop doing that, that could be a problem. If you want to come back, don't give them a reason to tell you no. They might find a reason to tell you no because a lot of them are haters. But haven't we all had a boss who doesn't like you going on vacation simply because they don't go on vacation? Oh, like, for sure. Truly. Yep. Right. Yep. And so the idea that you might not be where they want you to be, right, or that you're working remotely now, a lot of people aren't necessarily taking breaks as much now as they are saying, I want to pack up my laptop and go work full time somewhere else, which doesn't really sound relaxing to me, but, you know, <laughs> different shows for different folks. They don't like that. They don't yeah. like the idea that they're at home and you're out there living your best life. But whatever it is, whatever your ask is, whether that is working remotely with a company that doesn't allow it now or doesn't really have a policy about it now, or whether that is getting a leave, flesh out all of the pros and the cons for the company and for your manager and for you highlight all those pros, right? And give reasons that the cons don't really matter, right? Talk to them. Mm -hmm. And then if they say yes, boom, bam, you got what you wanted. If they say no, do you still really want to work there, right? Like you have to think about that. Do you still want to work there? Now, if yeah. you want to work there, no matter what they say, sometimes I'm like, you might not be able to ask your boss, right? If you are scared that if you ask, they might fire you and you really, really, really want that job, you might not be able to ask. You never know. Like if you think it's realistic that they might fire you for asking or like start looking for your replacement, if you ask, you might not be able to ask. But do you want to work at a place that fires you just for asking? I hear that. Mm. That's not ideal for a lot of us. Yeah. yeah. So set it up so that they, you've given them every single reason to say yes. And But if they come back with a no, you flesh out what, like, why is it a no? Like if it's just no, because I said no, Go on ahead and look for another job, right? Yeah. Like, go on ahead and look for another job. But if it's no because of X, Y, and Z reasons, figure out if there really is a way around it that your manager isn't seeing or isn't saying. Mm -hmm. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, 
Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Yeah, I love that. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, knowing your company's policies, because I found out that I was eligible for like a one year unpaid sabbatical at my last employer. And by the time I found out about it, I was like, well, I'm going to fucking quit anyway. So this doesn't really matter. I'm just going to worry about stacking my coins because we ain't worried about this. But, you know, if I had decided like that, that was something I wanted to pursue being in a place where financially, like I knew I could take care of myself for a year and not have to worry about that. Like that's a really powerful position to be in. And I think you can be in a more comfortable place having the discussion. And even if it goes left, right. And they're just like, well, no, well, then you can decide, well, fuck it. I had my one year FU plan in place anyway. So I'm out. Probably while you were building your next business or figuring out what else you want to do with life or just sleeping. Sometimes like we just need long-term sleep because we're so burned (laughs) out from what we do. I have a a client now that her company allows her paid leave. And so she's going to take a paid leave until they come knocking on her door like, girl, you still work here. And then the answer is no. I don't condemn that at all. Like you worked hard. You've been here for years. You have put in your dues and this is their policy. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about the logistics, right? Because you moved to Mexico and obviously there's like visas and like, you know, citizenship and all these things we have to take into account. First off, you decided to move to Mexico because you'd been there so many times and you enjoyed it. What was the actual logistical process of you moving there? Are you still a U.S. citizen? Are you dual citizen? What's going on? I'm still a U.S. citizen, but I have residence in Mexico. I have official residency. I got it last June in Mexico. So residency in Mexico is either permanent or temporary. Permanent is harder to get. They have a a category that satisfies the requirements. It's a financial solvency requirement. And if you do not have a pension coming in, as of now, as of like last year, they're not letting people, they didn't let me get permanent residency without a pension. So I have temporary residency. I have to renew it every four years. And then after the fourth year, I can become a permanent resident. So residency in Mexico, first time I moved down here was March, 2019. And I kind of just came down with a couple suitcases. It was on the um, six month visitor visa. I left every like two months. So for that six month time, I left every two months. I went to the to my mom's house in Florida to visit for a week. And that was October, 2019. I woke up the next day and I couldn't walk and I had to have knee surgery like two weeks later. I tore a meniscus possibly in my sleep. No one knows. It's a mystery. That meant that I couldn't walk without pain from October, 2019 to March, 2020 and so I was kind of cooped up in my mom's house. I didn't want to go back to Mexico because stairs, I, I just, it didn't feel safe when I was still undergoing all of the PT and everything. And then March, 2020, COVID hit. And I was like, I don't know about going back to live in another country without really feeling what was going on. November, 2020, I came back down, checked it out, really liked it. And then I got residency 
in 2021. And how does that process work? Like, do you have to show the fact that you're going to earn income on your own? Like, what's that process? So there are a couple of different ways. Most people get it through financial solvency, but you can get residency for a variety of ways. But financial solvency is what most people talk about when they talk about getting residency down here. So you either have to show that you work for a company outside of the U.S. and bring in your paychecks, I think for at least the last, it's either six months or a year, I don't remember, because it was not relevant to me because I was not actually working for a company. So you have to bring in your your pay stubs. If you're self-employed, that's a much harder sell, right? If it's self-employed and your name is the payee, Rashida Dow, paying Rashida Dow, like they, Rashida Dow, LLC, paying Rashida Dow, they might not like that. I don't, I know some people have had problems with that, but really just for me, I was showing them what I had in my investment accounts. And there's, I can't remember how many thousands it is, but you need to show them that you have enough money that you can support yourself here. And so the number changes every year, which is why I don't remember what it is now. If you are a brand new digital nomad, you're in your early 20s, bopping around, you may not have the amount saved. If you are older and you've been working for a long time, it's one of those amounts where it's not so, It's I think it's like 30 something thousand. So for some people, it seems completely out of the realm of possibility, right? To have that much invested. And for some people, they're like, I have that in just one of my accounts, right? Like it just, it's one of those amounts. And so you show that you have this much and you've had it for the past year or that you have a job that's paying you outside of the US, outside of Mexico, and you get your residency. And like, Got it. you do it at a consulate, a Mexican consulate in the US, and then you come down here and go to immigration here. And there's a second step here. I look younger than I am. And so there was a lot of hesitancy, especially when I got to the Mexican side. I don't know if it's because I'm black. I'm not mm-hmm. saying this. I think it was an age thing. But even though I'd been approved in the US, they were very hesitant and I had to fill out some additional forms and some things that are normally done automatically weren't done automatically for me. And so like, they literally were like, we know that he approved you, like the guy in the US, because you have enough money, but we need you to sign a form that no one else fills out saying that you have enough money and you're not going to be working here. And I'm like, like, you don't believe that I can have this amount of money, which feels very much like American bureaucracy. Like it felt very mm-hmm. much like, oh, I thought I got away from this. I, I didn't really think I got away from it because like these things are everywhere. Yeah. But it was a moment of like, okay, I've proven this to someone in the US, but on the second side of it, I have to prove it again. And they're doing a lot of immigration crackdowns here. And I was on a bus the other day and I showed the immigration officer my card. She was checking everybody's card. She asked me why I was granted residency. Like my card says I'm legit. What are these questions about? So why I was granted residency. And she didn't do this to anybody else, but she took my card to make sure that it was legit. Like she checked it in the system to make sure that it was legit and not a fake card. Wow. Well, I guess that means a lot of people are moving to Mexico. (laughs) It means a lot of people are moving to Mexico. A lot of people are overstaying their visas in Mexico, unfortunately. Oh, funny how that works when it's the opposite way. A lot of people are very upset about the idea that they can get deported from Mexico. And I'm like, oh, oh, do you hear? (laughs) It's very much Mexico. This is not me. These are the people that I'm seeing in Facebook groups. Very much. Mexico should be happy that I'm here spending my money. Oh God. I'm here spending money stimulating the economy. And so how dare you enforce your immigration laws? And it's like, this is oh. so interesting. 
It reeks of white supremacy. Wow. Okay. Mm. But it comes from people of all nationalities. I'm going to say. You see it all, but like old white people, key demographic (laughs) for hearing that. Because they've been, they've been living here on tourist visas for like 20 or 30 years. And so now they're like, what do you mean I can't do this anymore? Mm. But at the same time, I don't know that those are the people whose IDs are being taken away from them to check to make sure they're real and not fraudulent, right? Mm. Or being questioned mm-hmm. about why they get residency. Why, why were you granted residency? And I was like, baby, do I have to prove this to every immigration officer I speak to that I'm actually allowed to be here? The mood in Mexico is interesting right now because there are a lot of local, at least in Mexico City, who are upset about gentrification. And so you see all of these people coming down to Mexico City to work as digital nomads because it's so fun and it's so cheap and it's great and it's great and it's great. And it is driving up the price of the rent, but that's not what I'm doing. So Mm -hmm. like random people getting mad at me on the internet isn't helpful or productive. You know, a woman... I posted a reel, just a photos of food of Mexico City. And it was like, why I live here. Literally, that's all I said. And she was like, go home to your broken country in all caps. And I was like, it's the same thing we talked about a minute ago. It's the other side of the same coin. If I walked up to someone who I thought was an immigrant in America and I yelled, go home to your broken country, I would be an asshole. But you're out here acting like you're a hero for doing this to me on the internet. And it's like, we got to look at how these really fucked up immigration policies impact us as a global community Mm. and not like against each other, right? Like I am not here taking a job. I was really careful to only rent an apartment from an actual Mexican woman who lives in Mexico City, right? I was not going for corporations. I don't want any subleases from foreigners. No, no, no. I want to put money in the hands of a local. If she's charging me too much, I didn't I didn't do that. I, I looked for a while. I wasn't trying to pay whatever market rate. I wasn't trying to mess anything up, right? But I am here and I do spend money here. And is that going to impact the economy? Yes. Is telling me to go home to my broken country the answer? No, right? Like in my opinion, Mexico has done a really poor job in their immigration and their COVID policies to a certain extent because to this day, you don't need to get tested to come into the country. Come on now. You don't need to get tested to come in. You don't need to be vaccinated to come in. And so what happened is a lot of Americans who were avoiding places that required testing or testing or vaccination came here. And what made it worse is when other places were closed, there are a lot of people in Mexico right now who would rather be in Bali or Thailand or some other dream country, but those places closed. And when Mexico didn't, they're here and they're driving up the prices. But that wasn't me. I was here before this. I love it. Like, I legitimately love it here. But I'm still, there's a little bit of that tension that's like, you're here and you're ruining the country. And there's no kind of like, there's nuance in the conversation isn't there, right? The nuance of like, if you don't want people living here on six-month tourist visas, your government has to do something about that. And they're cracking down now, but they didn't for years. I can't control, like that's, I'm a resident. I'm here. I pay the fees telling me to go home to a broken country, which is admittedly broken. Like, I'm not going to argue about that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but like, we have to recognize that like, I wouldn't say that to an immigrant in America. And just like people don't like the crackdowns on 
immigration in Mexico, and we can see the hypocrisy in that, you should be able to see the hypocrisy in telling people that they shouldn't. Immigrants, because I am at this point an immigrant, you shouldn't be telling immigrants to go home either. Yeah, it's a very interesting place we are when the world has become so global and just there's so much freedom and mobility that it looks different. And the same thing's happening in Puerto Rico too. You know, there's a lot of digital nomads that are going over there. Prices of properties are going up. The locals are unable to afford buying a home. At some point, we're going to have to require or ask of the government to start intervening and making it a more equitable system. So right. we shall see what happens with that. Right. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the conversations with your family, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of people of color listen to this podcast and our families are all up in our shit all the time. They got a say in everything. They got an opinion in everything. And doing something like this can be very controversial. How did you deal with that? What were the conversations that you had? So surprisingly, <laughs> my mom's Jamaican, like I said, multiple jobs. My dad's from Antigua. <laughs> Lots of jobs too. They were both like, oh, that sounds awesome. Have a great time. And I was like, wait, what's happening? Like, I really thought I was being tricked. Like, my mom was like, my mom legit was like, I want to go. And I was like, first of all, this is a break. Goodbye. But they were both really excited for me. I think my mom more so than my dad. I think my dad is, was one of those people that is like, that sounds kind of scary, but like, you're smart. You'll be okay. A lot of times we have family members who are, are like, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. First of all, you don't quit your job, girl. What? But not working is hard for a lot of people of color, right? Because like, in the U.S., for the most part, who we are, unless you're fighting and like bucking the system, a lot of who we are is defined by what we create, what we do, what we manufacture, right? I manufacture legal contracts. I am a lawyer. I am Rashida the lawyer. But like, ew, you know, like, who are you when you separate yourself from what you produce? Who are you when you're no longer the widget or the widget creator? And so... It's really hard for a lot of our families who feel like, especially if you're a, if you're a high earner, if you have done something that's never been done in your family before, there's very much that idea of like, no, 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 no. We were all counting on you to like hold the, hold the torch and lead us into the future without recognizing that a lot of times holding the torch burns our hands. There's a lot of, of stress that goes into being the first, especially child, if you're the first, your department at work. Mm. It's one thing, like your family sees it from the outside and it looks so good, but on the inside, they're worms and it's moldy. Like it's not that great. I would say generally most of the time for most of us. And so how do you maneuver through this space of your family thinks you have fine, you have made it. You are the hope. You are our future to be like, but I don't want this future for myself. And that also comes back to being really firmly grounded in what you want, right? A lot of times I tell people, if you know you got haters in your family, don't tell them, right? If your aunt was scared when you went to Key West, don't tell her you're about to quit your job and leave the country. Don't do that. You know the close people around you, you know what they're going to do for the most part. You have a good idea of who's going to be supportive and who's not. Some people are going to surprise you. From your friends and family, you might hear a certain amount of, must be nice, which is the most hating ass thing anyone can ever say, right? Like, that and good for you. Good for I you. I think those are. two are the fucking yes. worst. Yes. It's just, ooh, 
So there was quite a bit of must be nice, but my actual family was really supportive. My friends were super supportive too, because I thought I was coming back in a year. If they didn't know I wasn't coming back, I don't know if that would have changed, right? Because a lot of times we don't want, it's hard to like picture this person moving away forever, right? That's not always good news. And when I talk to people, because I do this all the time, who are going through that, a lot of times their friendships change before they even leave. Because we all respond differently to change. And some people respond by like separating, by distancing themselves. And so you have to be firmly grounded in what you want. You have to not tell the haters what you plan on doing, right? And even if the hater is your mama, right? If your mama is going to cry and weep and go to church and beg the pastor for some kind of intervention, don't tell her until like three days before. Don't do that to yourself. If you have a firm plan, if you're like, I want to do this. And if you don't need anything from her while you're doing it, don't tell people. Let them know when you're like, okay, boom. So in two weeks, I'm going to do this. I already bought my tickets. I have my plan. This is it. I know you think it's not safe, but America is not safe. So give them the plan when it's ready. Don't tell them about the dream while it's still cooking because someone is going to come and try to piss on your dream. A lot of times it's not because they're a hater. A lot of times it's truly because they care about you and they're scared. Like the change that you're anticipating is scary for them, but they don't have to live your life. So it's okay if it scares them, right? It's okay if it scares you. If it scares you, that's not a reason not to do it. If it scares them, that's definitely not a reason not to do it if you feel good about it. If you're not telling your husband, sorry, I'm gonna go on a break. You got to watch these kids. Like that's what I'd be like, maybe you tell him in advance, right? Like maybe you tell him like, you know, not the week before you go on a three month break, but don't be afraid. Listen, if you need a, a month break, and you can manage it as a family, take a month break, do it. I have a client who was like, I'm going with, my son and I are going with or without my husband. At this point, it just is what it is. I need a break for my mental health. I'm going with or without my husband. I think he's going to go. I think he's going to, I think he's going to go too, but we have to put ourselves first. And as people of color, as women of color, we're so frequently not the number one priority in our life. I told my client the other day to leave her son. Her son was like 17 and he was like, you can go if you want to, but I'm going to stay with grandma. So I was like, girl, why aren't you packed? Man has a plan, right? Like little man has a plan. He said, you can go. I'm not going. And I was like, so when are you going? She's not going to go until he's out of high school. Wah, wah, wah. Love her all the same, right? Like I can only tell you my suggestion, which is if you need to go, go, right? Like recognize what has to happen in your family, but don't let someone else tell you that you can't go. Put yourself first. Put yourself first. Like it truly is putting on that oxygen mask first. Because if you can't breathe, no one else is going to breathe either. Mm, absolutely. I love that advice. And I love the fact that you're giving us permission to put ourselves first because again, society, the patriarchy, ain't nobody telling us that we can actually do that. So thank you for for the permission. I think we need it. Now, how has your life changed since this transition? Like what are the biggest aha moments you've had? Okay. So this one, it's one I've gotten more comfortable telling lately, but it's totally TMI. So, Hey y'all, if you don't want to hear about poop, go ahead and plug your ears. I had seen my doctor multiple times because I had this terrible pain in my side. We didn't know what it was. And eventually he was like, I think you need to poop. It was when I was working back in Ohio. So this was like 2016 or earlier. 2016, I never actually thought of it like this before. This was before 2016. I was so stressed that I wasn't pooping regularly. Like it was days before I'd go. And one month 
into my break. So this is 2018. 2016 is before when I knew I had this problem. 2018, within a month of leaving work, I was waking up every morning and pooping. And I was like, wait, is this what y'all do every day? Y'all be out here pooping every, like clockwork? You just get up and like stretch and walk to the bathroom? Is this? I was so bound up in stress. I didn't realize that my body wasn't functioning the way it's supposed to. And I would say that probably for like 95% of us, your body isn't functioning how it's supposed to in one way or another, right? Mm. If you're stressed, if you're burned out, the stress is manifesting itself in some way that you're not even conscious of. You're not even aware of it. And you won't be until you give yourself permission to take a break, until you take that break, until you don't have to clock in and see that boss that you hate every morning, right? Until that client is not yelling (laughs) to you over email about something you can't control. Until you actually give some space to yourself. And one of the things I loved about my break and one of the ways my life is different, I got to decide every day who I was and what I wanted to do that day. And it really lets you tune into your passions, right? Like when I was traveling the world, like if I wanted to get up and go to a museum, I'd get up and go to a museum. If I wanted to lay on the couch all day and watch Netflix, I'd lay on the couch all day and watch Netflix because there was nothing I had to do. So everything I did was what I wanted to do in the moment. And we're not allowed that in life. Capitalism does not allow us that freedom. It does not allow you the freedom to say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do right? Because you should be doing something productive. You should have a side hustle. You should be doing this. You should be planning this, right? And it's like, what if I just want to be? What if I just want to breathe and relax and like take care of myself? Because we only get one body. We only get one life. And I wasn't pooping for days at a time. I didn't even (laughs) notice it was a problem. I didn't notice it. And when I did, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll make some things happen and poop. And then until the next time, I'm so backed up. I feel like I got stabbed in the side was how mm. much I was in pain. And it was wow. just poop. It was just poop. So that was like the first, a month in, that was the first place where I was like, this is a big change. I didn't realize yeah. it. After that, it was like realizing that I had, like I said, my plan was to go back to work. I was in a very specialized niche. So I was like, someone will hire me. I'm going to have to live somewhere I don't want to live. I work for car companies. So I go where the car companies are. So that's like Detroit, that's Dallas. That, you know what I mean? Like yeah. someplace like that. But I was no longer interested in letting white men control my time Mm. or letting them talk crazy to me. You can't talk crazy to me. There's nothing. (laughs) What? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. (laughs) Honestly, one of the best things about my life now is that I only speak to people I want to speak to. And I'm sure your life is a lot like that too now. Like if I do not want to speak to you, we don't do business. There's no reason I have to speak to people I don't want to speak to. I even love my landlord. Like everybody, I got to give you money. Cool. Cool. I really like you, right? (laughs) I like everybody I come in contact with. And I've been intentional about building my life this way. Hmm. That I think is the biggest change for me. It's like every choice I make, especially when I moved to Mexico City, every choice I make is from scratch. Like I get to decide 
everything about this life. And in some ways that makes it a completely new life, but I'm still me. So it's, you know what I mean? It's not like I've changed my identity in any way. It's just that I get to be make intentional choices where, you know, in the US, anywhere, we make choices, but they don't aren't necessarily completely up to us or completely intentional. Like you go to college because that's where you got the most financial aid, right? Or you go to, you get a job because that's the one that paid the most. And you buy your house because it's in this neighborhood that you like in the city and it's close enough to work, but your commute isn't terrible. And then you drive by your car because all of these choices build on one another. And when I got to Mexico City, I was like, oh, I can just decide everything. Everything? Okay, cool. And that was really nice to say like, my life, I get to make intentional choices where before I didn't, they were always dependent on something else. Mm. Oh my gosh. I am so inspired by your journey and I know people are going to be too. So my last question is, what advice would you give to someone who is ready to start living a more intentional life and create this space for themselves to take a break, retire early, et cetera, but they're just like hella overwhelmed with where to start? Like what's the one thing they could do right now to just get on the path? Okay. So I'm going to give you two things. Two, okay. I'm going to give you two things, but I think they're both different and they both depend on where you are. If you feel overwhelmed... I would say pick a date, pick a date, have it as your departure date, and then start building towards that date, right? Like picking a date will tell you how much money you need to save per month. Like once you create a budget for where you want to go, you'll know how much money you need to save per month because you know how many months you have left, right? Picking a date is really key because it anchors it into something. Pick an important date, your birthday, Christmas your ex-husband's birthday because you need to get away from him and he ruined your life. Something, right? Like pick a date that matters to you. You're like, this is my, we're not doing revenge bodies. Like do revenge departures here, okay? Yes, this is your freedom date, honey. <laughs> right? <laughs> the other thing that's important, and I think, I don't know if it, your audience needs this advice, but someone probably does. Do the math, right? So this is one of the things I say to other audiences. Do the math. Figure out how much money you actually have saved because I would say like 90% of the population is not aware of where they are when it comes to like money. Like how much debt do you have? How much assets do you have? How much money can you access, right? And how much money do you need? Sometimes I talk to people, talk to women, just like you and me. And they're like, I want to take a break, but I don't think I have enough money saved. I'm going to take a year break. I don't think how much, I don't think I have enough money saved. How much money do you have saved? $400,000. Baby, what are you doing? Like, if you don't get out of here. Because fire yes. tells everybody that we need to have like 2 million in the bank, right? Right? Yeah. Like you don't. Like if you're truly taking a break for a year and you're coming back to work next year, you could take a break. And waiting, if you have $400,000, if you need a break today, waiting until you have a million, you might not make it that whole time. Your poop could explode, right? <laughs> like, you you might be too stressed out, like that part of your body or whatever it is for you, it could be your mental health that like goes downhill and you might not make it the whole way. Take the break when you can, right? Figure out how much money you need, figure out how much money you have, and don't be afraid. Most, a lot of people hide, a lot of people let their fear manifest in different ways when they're thinking about this. Money is the number one thing. I talked to a woman this morning who was like, I don't think I have enough money for the move. 
She's going to continue working her job. She has a $4,000 a month budget in Chicago. She wants to move to Mexico. She will have a $4,000 a month budget in Mexico. I'm like, if you can live on it in Chicago, unless you're planning on changing your lifestyle dramatically, you can live on it in Mexico. But your biggest fear is you won't have enough money. But like, tell me why. And she couldn't tell me why. Because the only why is fear, right? The only why is like our brains do this all the time. They convince us that this, this new thing that we want is new, is scary. You're going to fail, right? It's not going to happen. It's going to be terrible. But like you have $400,000. You don't think you can take a year off work? Yeah. What, what are you truly scared of? Like what is it that is getting your way? Because it's not money because you, you have money. You're pointing to the money right now, right? So figure out the money and do it in like, think about what happens if everything goes right, right? Like if... A lot of times it's like, well, what if the stock market collapses? But what if it doesn't, right? Like think of the money you have now, where it's invested now. What if the stock market doesn't collapse, right? What if it continues to grow? I have almost twice as much money as I did when I stopped working just from wow. the stock market. I'm putting like a couple, a hundred, a couple hundred bucks a month, I think, in. Nothing. That's not why. It's, it's just the growth of the market. Like I said, I believe based on history, it will continue to grow. And if it doesn't, plans you have other options for a little while, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Give it to me, right? I can always go back to work. I may not be the work I was doing before, but I can find something to do to pay for myself, right? Mm -hmm. Although truly, where are the sugar daddies? Can I say that here? (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Ma'am, where are they? I don't know. Like pay my bills. That's <laughs> There's a lot of them in the Instagram DMs, but but, yeah. but, but like they want to <laughs> talk and they're not paying, like truly yeah. pay. pay my bills and not talk to me is what I'm looking for. It hasn't happened. So <laughs> at this point it's the stock market. Come on, stock market. That's right? what's going to work. It's either that, or I've always said my plan B is to sell foot fetish pictures on OnlyFans. Listen, my, the other day my friend was like, <laughs> We were talking about buying something and she was like, we can sell foot pics. And I was like, baby, I can't. I can't sell foot pics. But if you can, you can get us the money. Please. So if you can get some money from it, please, you know, let us know. I I can't do that. Oh my God. That's so funny. You know what? One more thing. I think somebody like you who has been able to just like come out of the, the rat race and live a more, I would say, enlightened life. I imagine you subscribe to affirmations, you know, mindset stuff. I'm wondering if you have like a favorite affirmation that you kind of channel, you know, or used to channel good things in life. So I grabbed this one from my leak, Teal, and she posts frequently that the universe is generous. Is it generous? I think it's the universe is generous. And I say that to myself frequently. Like I remind myself that everything I want will come to me. Everything I want will come to me. Except for the sugar daddy. Not yet. That's that's not yet. That's not (laughs) Not yet. yet. That's not yet. You know, everything I want is within my reach. Everything I want will come to me. And so I don't think I have like one affirmation, but I really try to ground myself in sort of an expansive attitude, right? Like I try when I, but like, don't get me wrong. Like I fall into scarcity all the time. Like I'll be like, look at what the market did. (laughs) But like it's seven figures. I have to remind, like even realistically, I have to remind myself, like you're okay. Your living expenses are super low. 
you don't need to rely on what's in your investments now. But even if you did, you would be okay for years and years and years and years. And so it's kind of just telling myself that if I believe it, right, and I work towards it, right? So I ground myself in an idea that like, even if I don't know how, financially, I will always be okay. And then I do work that gets me walking towards it, like trying to have a positive money mindset and selling my time instead of giving it away for free, which I did for quite a while, right? That's how I ended up being a career break coach was people started asking me about how to do it and I was doing it free. But then free people don't show up. The paid people, the people who pay, they show up. And so I like working with them better. Mm -hmm. And so like doing things to bring in money, I feel like helps tell the universe that like we're on the same team, right? Like I'm here with you. You're being generous, but I am not taking that for granted. The generosity is in the clients I get. The generosity is in the courses I sell. The generosity is in the beautiful people you bring into my life. And in so many ways, I'm like, yep, I see you. I hear you. You're giving me what I need and you always will. And so it really is, for me, it's just like believing it's going to happen and doing things that reflect that belief, right? Yeah. So like, like I said, every once in a while I sink into scarcity, but I try to stay in abundance. I try to remind myself that like, there's also, it's really a mindset shift for me because I have parents, like a lot of us did, who lived in the can't afford it world. Can't afford it, can't afford it, can't afford it. A mindset shift for me was like, I can afford anything I want. Like I might not want it enough to pay what they're asking for it, right? <laughs> but I can I can afford anything I want. Now, there are things I can't buy Amazon, right? Like I can buy Amazon stock, but I can't buy today a mega yacht. I can't do that. I don't want a mega yacht, right? Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that if I set my sights on a mega yacht, mega yacht money would show up because I would... I would tell the universe I wanted it. I would do the things that showed it. I'm working hand in hand. We are walking together on this path to a mega yacht. And it might not be tomorrow, but the mega yacht would be there, possibly with a sugar daddy. On it. <laughs> yes, he's the captain. There you go. All right, now. <laughs> you know, like, there's no real affirmation as much as there's just the belief that if I want it, it's possible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Rashida, you are such a badass. And I know people are going to want to find out so much more about you after hearing this interview. So tell us where we can find you and how you work with women to help them level up. There's a couple of places you can find me. You can find me at RashidaDow.com. That is R-O-S-H-I-D-A-D-O-W-E.com. You can find me on social media, mostly on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Shida, D-S-H-I-D-A-D. I'm on YouTube at Shida's on the Loose. I do videos there like three times a week. So you can always find me there. And I work with people one-on-one, mostly women. Men always say like, do you work with men? And I'm like, yes, if you pay. And then they don't pay, (laughs) right? Like it so truly is like one of those things. I work with women because women pay me. I work with women who want to take career breaks or who want to move abroad long-term or want to kind of bop around the globe. Maybe it's a digital nomad. Maybe it's just kind of an explorer and see part of the world. I help them make their plans. I help them figure out budgets. I help them do all of the work, but truly I help them move past the fear, right? I really help my clients move past the fear that they're feeling. I do that in one-on-one sessions and I do that in a course called From Burnout to Bliss, which you can find at fromburnouttobliss.co. And 
it's truly my passion. I want, if you hate your job and you want to quit your job, let's talk about how you could do it. And mm. life. Like this is what, <laughs> listen, I had the most terrible, terrible bosses. And as someone who's left that, now I'm like, I can't imagine ever going back to that again. Oof. I have a free sabbatical planning guide for anyone who kind of wants to ease into it and see if they're interested, which I'll send you the link for. Yeah. I'll put it in the episode show notes. I'll not tell you the link. <laughs> um, but yeah. So if this is what you want, it's something I want for you. And so I love helping women kind of reach that goal of living the life they want, move from feeling like it can't happen to, oh, this is totally attainable. And that's what happens for a lot of my clients is it's like, this is just a wild dream. And they're like, wait, oh, I can do this. Believing it can happen and we'll make it happen, right? That is amazing. You are speaking my language and I just want so many more of us to understand that this is possible and that there are people out here who can support you on your journey. You do not have to do this alone. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for just opening up what is possible for us and, and allowing us to dream beyond what we've been given permission to think about. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.